and welcome to Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. And continuing along, I had a little throat gurgle, uh, and continuing along with our Star Wars series that we launched last year, we are now in chapter, what is it? Chapter eight? I think it's chapter eight. Chapter eight, The Last Jedi circa 2017 and of course to help me get through this we're bringing back an old favorite of the show and that would be mr john Rowe. how's it going john how are you pretty good man thanks for having me back happy to be here uh episode eight we've come a long way may the fourth be with you by the way people oh yes may the fourth be with you indeed yeah as we are launching this episode this episode is going to drop on may the fourth so may the fourth be with you. Yeah, I just want to say we we had intended to get them all out last year, and just you know things in life come up, and we we hadn't gotten to it, but we're gonna get it all done this year. It's gonna happen one way yeah. or another. Yeah, this is a big part of it. This is a big part of it. This film is a big big part of it, right? I mean, when we decided we were gonna do this venture, I was always curious to know what would happen when this movie came around because I had some initial thoughts when I first saw the last Jedi. I don't know about you. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I'm I'm really curious to get your thoughts. I'll share some of my thoughts, but I think this is an episode that is going to lend itself very well for a podcast because this is without question the most divisive of the entire franchise. And that isn't just me as a fan saying it. This is the, the, the drama behind the scenes with this movie when it came to what critics thought, what the audiences thought, what the, the actors in the film thought. I mean, we're all over the place where if you look at most movies within this franchise, everything has been fairly consistent with limited exception, but this one, very, very divisive. But before we get into all that, I want to, I want to chat with you, John. What, uh, what do you, what do you think? I mean, where do, where do we want to begin with, with the discussion of this film? Well, I like when we start back in 2017, kind of talk about what was going on. Mm, Okay. Some of the other movies that had come out. I mean, I think just leading into this, this came out in 2017, I think. It did, yep. Uh, November or December. I remember I was in Ireland when this movie came out. Nice. Hope you tell me more about that later. Uh-huh. Uh, but I want to say in 2015, Force Awakens comes out. Rogue One comes out in 2016. So then this one comes out. So it's following just in the Star Wars realm. Um, some pretty interesting stories. Um, you're talking about it being... I know we discussed this a bit earlier about how divisive it is of a film. And so I guess in a way to describe this to anybody who may not have followed, like a fan of minutes may have a lower rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but critics also have it at a low rating. Right. What you're saying is this has a low rating on Rotten Tomatoes and critics hold it in high acclaim. Very, so, very much true. There are other films that could be considered of a lower ranking, but that's, that's what you mean by different. And yeah, I guess, you know, and maybe now is just to kind of the, the time to at least before we get into the, the overall deep conversation that we may have. Um, so if we were to look at the at this point, 
10 previous movies that had existed in this universe without getting into rise of Skywalker, which hadn't happened, or I guess even solo, we won't, we'll, we'll omit solo. But if you take the original star Wars critically about a 90% approval rating among critics, audiences 96%. So the audiences liked it a little bit more, but both, both definitely, definitely enjoyed it. Empire Strikes Back, 94% from the critics, 97% from the audience, the highest rated among uh, audiences and critics for Empire Strikes Back. And with good reason, it's the best of the series. Um, don't fight me on that. I mean, it's it's without question. Um, Return of the Jedi, 83% critically, 94% audiences. And then we get into the prequel series. So you've got Phantom Menace, 51% from the critics, 59% from the audience. So the audience liked a little bit more than the critics. An uptick, all right. Uh, attack, what was it? Attack, attack of the Clones, 65% to 56%. So the audience didn't like that, uh, didn't like attack as much as they as as much as they enjoyed Phantom, but the critics certainly liked it a lot more. And then we get Revenge of the Sith, and that was 79%, the highest of of the 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 prequel series and then also the highest among the audiences within the prequel at 66 percent still all three of those films were far lower in both critics and uh, audiences when it comes to just overall um feelings of those now we get into the the uh, the sequels if you will so we had the force awakens 93 percent the the highest a film had been and actually the second highest since Empire Strikes Back, 93%. Audiences, 85%. So audiences definitely enjoyed that. Now, uh, what about, oh, we had Rogue One, 84% from critics, 86% from audiences. And then we get The Last Jedi, 91% from the critics. So at that point, it makes it the one, two, three, fourth highest from approval ratings critically, the fourth highest of the entire franchise. Audiences, 42%. 42%. The lowest? Without question. Without question, the lowest. Substantially lower than The Phantom Menace. So you look at that, that disparity, that's a 49% like drop from what the critics thought of this film versus what the audiences thought of this film. Yeah. Where everything else there, I think the the biggest gap was like thirteen. Pardon me. Hard to explain that. It's it's really hard, and that's one of the things I think is going to make this discussion really that's interesting. What we're about to do. That's what this is what we're going to be talking about. Right? Exactly because about I I know what I thought when I first saw the film, and then I had the ability. You know, the I fortunately I was able to revisit it again last night, but. I am like what I'm more interested in than anything is where that disparity comes from. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about the movie. Uh, we can talk a little bit about uh, Ryan Johnson, the filmmaker. We can talk about this trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the original trilogy and whatever they were trying to do. But there's a lot to unpack. But I think this one's going to be really interesting because it's a giant, it's a giant shift. And it's certainly, certainly on the minds of those that, pe- those that had seen the film because audiences revolted 
against this movie, like the prequel, well, not the prequel, but the um, the first film of this trilogy, The Forest Awakens, the largest film ever in the history of the box office, $930 million, still the number one domestically. That's pretty over nine, I mean, that's more than any of the Spider-Man movies. It's more than any of the Avengers films, you know, domestically. It is the number one, more than Titanic, Avatar, blah, 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 blah. The Force Awakens, the number one movie of all time. And then the immediate sequel, 620 million. Two years later, that audience dropped a full third. You know, you went from 930 to 620, which is wild. So critics came out, they gave their, their, their praise in the movie. The audience went solid in droves in that opening week. And then they did not come back, which mm-hmm. I think is where we, you know, we got to talk about it. But before, let's maybe dive into talk, talk about the, just the basic flow. We yeah. pick up basically the story right where we left off, it seems. Because Quite literally Ray right where we left off. Looking at Luke and the people are fleeing the village of Yavin 5 and stuff. So since we pick up right where we left off. Uh, and it basically follows Ray's tutelage with Luke as a mentor and Kylo Ren, aka Big Kenobi, uh, with Snoke and kind of their uh, master apprenticeship. And while that's going on, you get a little bit of a um, kind of tutelage with um, Poe Dameron and Leia, I would say. Um there's a lot of that leadership and uh, student uh, teacher and student going on throughout the film, but basically they're running away from Kylo Ren in the first order as uh, Finn and a new friend named Rose are trying to find a way to basically um, for the first order's plans because they're able to track them through space um, while Ray is getting trained up for this showdown with Ben Kenobi. I think the only other thing kind of put in before we're talking about the end is that Ben Kenobi and Ray are uh, developing a connection between each other throughout the film. Right. Yeah. They definitely developed that, which obviously was kind of hinted uh, in the, in the previous film where they did have their, their moment, you know, where they had their little like fight at the end, but obviously Kylo had a, a sense of, of this, of this new, uh, this new force as, you know, he had asked about and like, like what girl. So he, he, he knew that there was a presence of some sort, but this one, they obviously literally are able to communicate with each other from across the galaxies. Right. So that definitely they, they tied into that. Now, one thing that we've done with the other films is we we've started with the crawl. Do we want to, do we want to read the crawl again? We probably should. I thought it was an okay crawl when we were following it the other night. We we didn't read it out. Let's let's go for it. We'll do this for the audience. Let's do this. Let's get it set up. Episode 8. The Last Jedi. The First Order reigns. Having decimated the peaceful Republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny. Certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds toward the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. And there you go. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, spark of hope basically rings out whenever you read it to me. That's kind of seems to be the main theme throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, you get a little sense of kind of foreshadowing with that, that notion of certain that Jedi master Luke Skywalker will return to restore a spark of hope to the fight. Right. Yeah. And I guess in a way we talked last time about how it's a smaller people, like there's no longer the rebellion it's resistance fighters. Maybe that is not a whole rebellion. There's just a couple of fighters, but it was Leia in particular who feels that Luke will return, which gives you hope as a fan. Exactly. And right off the bat, one thing that I did enjoy was flipping that audience expectation. Like, all right, now we've got Luke. Luke is going to be like, what the hell? What do we need to do? But the first thing we do is we, we, we pick right up where we left off in the last film where like Ray showing him his father's lightsaber. Like, Hey, look, I got, I found this for you. And Luke immediately says, okay, he grabs it and throws it like off the cliff, not interested remotely in the fact that they retrieve this, this old lightsaber or not remotely interested in that. There's a potential new Padawan, you know, apprentice coming to him to learn something. Yeah, let's hit the pause because this is probably one of the first moments in which fans and the critics would differ. Like fans want Luke to have the lightsaber, turn it on, all of a sudden be Jedi Master. We we learned throughout the film, he's cut himself off from the Force. He's not interested in the Force, so it's a more symbolic gesture for to, to throw it and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see Kylo Ren with it, so I got a feeling like he's just like, that's, a, that's almost like a cursed saber to him, I feel. Right. Um, so, uh, I got a feeling he doesn't want her around him or even on the Island, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, maybe throughout it, we'll find little moments to say that that's probably where the fans wanted it one way. Critics saw it the other. Um, cause I think there's a lot of symbology that maybe tough to understand the first time through, but, uh, I think it works really well. And that's maybe it's worth a rewatch. So I, I think you, 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 you raise a really interesting point because I mean, Definitely on that second viewing, you you certainly pick up more elements that may have been lost that that initial that initial viewing. And I admittedly, while as a movie developed, that's where it, it had a tendency to lose me. But I did kind of I remember laughing at that moment where Luke does throw the saber. I was like, wait, what? What? Why did he do that? I, I was intrigued. Like, okay, we're going to find out a little bit about this. Now, it had a tendency to um, lose a little bit of my interest because of the fact that it wasn't just a moment of like, whatever. We've got, we've got a very crotchety, you know, uh, Jedi master. Certainly not the Luke Skywalker that we last saw in Return of the Jedi. I mean, this is a guy that not only doesn't want anything to do with the saber, he intentionally left everybody. He didn't want to be around anything anymore. You know, so he found the, the most isolated place, most remote place he could possibly be and not be around anybody, which incidentally just happens to be a little tiny island off the coast of Ireland called Skellig Michael. Now in the film, it's an entirely different planet, but that's where they, they filmed it, just this tiny little island off the coast of southwestern ireland called skellig michael which i did see when i was in ireland i didn't get the opportunity to go over there just because it was the winter and 
it was a little tough to like take boats over there during that, that time frame. But I did see it off the coast, you know, I don't know if it was maybe 20 miles or something. So I could see it. It did exist. Uh, and Skellig Michael, just for, for those listening at home, it used to be like this kind of tiny little Island, like this, I don't want to call it a haven for monks, but basically it was just a, a place where monks hung out like thousands of years ago. And when I say thousands, it could be like 1000 or not quite 2000 years ago, but anyway, it was this tiny little Island. And, um, you know, they had some old architecture and, uh, yeah. So check it out. Skellig Michael place where like it's puffins. So if you know about, uh, puffins, they look kind of like penguins, but they're not penguins. And Ryan Johnson and the star Wars people, uh, decided to kind of use that idea of puffins, but instead of puffins in the movie, they became porgs. How do you think they were received? Cause some people hate Ewoks. Some oh. people think Ewoks have re- ruined return of the Jedi. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't have any issue personally with the, uh, with, I was going to call the puffins with the porgs. <laughs> they don't say anything. They get yeah. very, very little screen time. Uh, I would find them far less far less rather far less troublesome than those weird those weird animals that luke was uh getting the blue milk from i found them a little like a little less annoying um mm-hmm. those cow those cows op- Say what? Yeah, they're like a cow mixed with a uh, giraffe mixed right. with some sort of, yeah. it was weird it was weird it was a weird it was a weird uh, that, a, uh creature and the um, one that chewy cooked it looks so delicious right? I, mean, <laughs> I don't i there's no way chewy's not eating that thing yeah mm-hmm. it looked so good yeah but yeah so there wasn't a ton of of comic relief in in this film so the the porg and chewy relationship was good we we got some comedy from dialogue from uh, Poe Dameron, uh, General Hux obviously was the butt of all the jokes. So you got some weird form of levity from the Empire or the whatever the hell, uh, what are they called? Not the Empire, the um, First Order. The First Order, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is weird because we've never really gotten that before. You know, we, we've never really gotten any form of levity or comic relief from the bad guys in, mm-hmm. in this sure franchise. Stormtroopers back walking. Yeah, you know, all the time now with Sadakis or you know exactly or something. Yeah, or, you know fulfilling the universe. Right. Maybe that's something we should talk about the growth and you know the one of the great things about this film is they're building, you know, the world a little bit. You know, showing these people it's a little bit more human. Yeah, you are getting a little. You know, so I mean, there is some positive takeaways in it, but um, yeah, I mean this this movie is is a fascinating. It's a it's a fascinating like study really when you just look at it looks like a star wars movie and it is a star wars movie but this one this one just obviously was different even from like the directing aspect we 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 saw a different level of like art artist uh, like artistry you know different little like creative look and some of the shots that we were getting uh like even toward the beginning of the movie when uh rose's sister is basically trying to you know drop all those bombs and you know, she falls down and she's seemingly kind of like paralyzed or whatever. And, um, you know, you, you get this like deep close up of her and 
we had never even gotten a shot like that anywhere else in any of the Star Wars films, like like an extreme close up shot like that. Slow-mo. Pardon me? I'm just trying to remember like a slow-mo scene before. Yeah, I don't even remember if there was one. You know, so we this movie <laughs> said what? Uh, it's not really one, but like no, no. <laughs> uh, oh god, the new. But yeah, I mean, so this movie, it like I said, it it had the look of Star Wars, but it also didn't have the look of Star Wars. There was something very, very different about that movie, and maybe that's something that the critics liked. You know, shaking it up, and maybe that's something that the audiences didn't like. I don't know. And. I like, I mean, I think that's one thing where like from the art or the story or just the scene, um, the different saber battles, obviously the last battle with the different um, salt and how the red and the white, um, the battle at the, uh, in Snoke's palace with it, with the different warriors and you have the one blue lightsaber. I thought visually this movie was up there with any of the star Wars. Yeah, for so sure. That's, that's where anybody could say that's a pro. I think where one of the, the flaws in it was I actually was trying to kind of catch up a little bit more today and rewatch it. And all I wanted to see was Ray scenes or Ray and Kylo Ren or Ray mm-hmm. and Luke Skywalker, the Poe Dameron. And I feel like you could almost just leave that out in the entire movie because yeah. they don't end up help, like succeeding. They get double cross. It was kind of a or crisscross, but it, it was kind of like a little Lando selling out Han situation with Finn. But either way, it, it didn't do anything. The, Snoke was already doing it. So I feel like you could basically just leave that entire story out. So that's where, like, that's what the fans think. Like, that's a boring part of the story. All right, dude, that I think is such a great, like, natural segue because of the fact that I think this movie succeeds in several ways. Obviously, the interactions between Ray and Luke, when they're on camera, you're really invested. When you've got those scenes between Kylo Ren and Ray, even though we had never seen that in Star Wars, which I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about it. They were compelling. Just, you know, just different parts of the galaxy interacting. It, it was good drama. You know, it, it was interesting when you had their scenes. Um, everything was Snoke. That was that was intriguing because he was a big bad. You had that dynamic between Hux and, and Kylo Ren as far as the two of them trying to battle for like, who does daddy like more kind of vibe going on, right? But the the subplots between Poe Dameron, who I enjoyed, I didn't really enjoy Poe Dameron in this film. You know, I, I thought it was a little hokey in the very beginning, just using kind of like modern kind of humor and dialogue, just with the, okay, I'll hold, you know, like where he was just kind of like using Hux as kind of like a, uh, like again, that comic relief that we had mentioned, it didn't really work well for me. The the Finn and Rose stuff didn't work for me, not because I didn't think they were good actors, which I think there was definitely something to talk about, especially when it comes to bullying, because the actress that played Rose was notoriously torn apart in social media. That's horrible. But the the, the scenes that didn't have anything to do with the force. I really wasn't too invested in. I don't know about you, but I think that for me was the, where I felt the film lacked, even though we were introduced to something really cool, which is the whole idea that now the, um, the first order can, can follow people in hyperspace, which is kind of cool. That was neat. It was interesting, 
we didn't really totally explore that, which I think was a missed opportunity. But I think it adds to Hux's character and kind of gives him a little bit of a skin in the game uh, and the reason why people like him so much. But how Rose was, uh, yeah, Rose's character, they just didn't have enough development for her. You, you know from the necklace that it was her sister at the beginning. So there is that that she's lost somebody, but you still just don't feel that invested with this new character. Um, no fault to her. She just doesn't have all the great, great lines. And we're, we're just really excited to see Luke. Right. And then there's this Snow character who is extremely scary uh, and just... Um, yeah, he's just more menacing than most of the other evil characters we've seen within the Star Wars galaxy. And Andy, Andy Circus fucking crushed it again. The dude is amazing. He's good. He's good in the new Batman. Don't know if you saw that. He's Alfred. Oh, yeah, as, as Alfred, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, but he was great. Um, so you do have these partnerships that I think work and just... Uh, yeah, Poe Dameron's character, like throughout the film, he keeps like getting people killed, basically. Right. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that, that's an understatement. He gets a lot of people killed. Yeah, a lot of people. And after, and like, so his big arc within the story is at the very end when he sees Luke go to face down Kylo Ren. He goes, "Wait, he's doing something." And Finn's idea is like, "He's alone. We gotta go fight." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just like. No, he's giving us time to get out of here. It's like it took him forever to figure that out. Right. And then Leia's like, we'll follow him, you know? So, like, that's his full arc. The entire, the, his entire arc as a character through the story is pretty, it's, it's not very far. Um, as for the Force, and, like, we, you know, Yoda spoke about being able to reach out and see Luke from uh, from a distance and far away. So, um Honestly, the mental force power, I think, probably one of the biggest things that they were uh, expanding upon within this film, Um, because a part of it, like the Kylo Ren versus Luke, is how Snoke had already corrupted him. Mm -hmm. And so whenever Luke goes to make it, he sees the corruption, makes a bad decision. Uh, All of a sudden, you got, uh, you know, Kylo Ren's going to the dark side instead of the light side. But um I would say that's probably the number one thing force wise that they've added the other. So that's a positive. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. You know, I think kind of, you know, preachers of the afterlife, which we all kind of think about or know about at times, right. or, you know, remembering people from beyond and you're not always gone. Um, but whenever you look at the things that they didn't do well, you can look at princess Leia uh, and how you have this great, awesome space battle where Kylo Ren's whooping the crap out of everybody and he's there and it's not him who shoots. It's the, it's the ones beside him that, that ends up ma- taking the shot. So he is conflicted, but he, but he still loses her. And uh, then they take it all back. They get you all emotionally involved and then they just go, Oh, never mind, Don't worry. Yeah. yeah and, and for the listeners that just to uh, kind of circle back to what John's referring to is we, we kill princess Leia technically in this film. Right. And to bring it back to the Force Awakens, we we have this character, a very, very conflicted character in Kylo Ren. And I think Adam Driver did a fantastic job with just giving this this character a lot of weight. Right. And in the last film, he he kills his father, albeit reluctantly, but he kills him. It's part of his tests. Right. And he doesn't. He, he passes that one. He and then gets his ass whooped by 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 Ray. But fast forward to this movie and we see him with a little bit of a vendetta and he he's whooping ass. He's, he's 
he's blowing up ships. He's a badass pilot like his father and his grandfather. He's really good. And he has the opportunity to take out his mom, right? He, he senses it. She senses it. He doesn't do it. But a couple of ships, you know, uh, they do. And they, they, they take out the ship. Now, very, very sad. But also, it works in the sense that you now can believe a little bit of this character's arc, right? And I don't necessarily want to turn into a section where I'm critiquing this film, but I do want to stop and critique it because everything that they just built up, they completely shit on immediately by introducing this new thing that had never happened in any of the Star Wars movies, which is, oh, apparently... Uh, those with the force can survive in deep space without any oxygen and, um, you know, um, beyond freezing conditions and just being in outer space. And Leia wills herself back onto a ship, you know, and it, it's weird. And although we, we like the idea of having Leia's theme playing in the background, which I, I mean, I certainly did enjoy and having a moment where Leia does something kind of force sensitive is cool. It, it it just doesn't work cinematically as far as I'm concerned. And you're introducing a brand new rule, the eighth film into this series that nobody had ever done anything like that before, as far as I can remember. And I don't know about the cartoons, but I don't think they ever did anything like that in the cartoon, but at least in the cinematic universe, they had never done anything. And despite all of that, the most egregious element of it is you take away that emotional confliction that, 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 that Kylo Ren just experienced, right? You just take away a lot of that weight and the, the impact, not that I want princess Leia to die because I certainly don't, but it's a better scene if she does die. As far as I'm concerned, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, I wish you'd have died. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to say because yeah. we love Leia. Yeah. We love or, Leia. It's not like we want her to die. It gives a little like a uh, finger finger push to go like, oh, move her back in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, go back in the door, mom. Sorry. Here. Uh, force push. Uh, force push. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that would have all been better. Um, but I do think just talking about like Adam Driver, I think is probably – I think he just nails the role. I think he's conflicted. I think um, where, because you get Snoke telling him he was unbalanced and that's why he lost. Because, you know, when the critiques of The Force Awakens, like, wow, is Lit Ray, who's never used a lightsaber before. It's fun whenever the main characters in the story just take whatever somebody shit on and just go, hey, you know what you shit on? This is why. Right. (laughs) You know, that girl, you were unbalanced because you just killed your dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and it almost wrecked you. And, uh, and he knows. Snoke knows what, what they were doing, the mind games they were playing to try to get him conflicted. But um, Kylo Ren's playing mind games of his own. What I will say is, like you are saying, when you see the space battle, basically after he takes the mask off and he just starts popping it, which I think that, like, the scene with the mask is he tells him, like, take it off. It's like the mask represents him in a way being ashamed. He doesn't want other people to see his face because mm-hmm. some people do know him as so that kind of adds to his character of being a little bit of a shame. And now he's taking off the mask and it's just he doesn't care. It's, it's, he's going to have the repercussions. But when he's fighting also those uh, those red guards and stuff like that, I would say that that's him focused <laughs> like that. Yeah. He's on a mission and he is whooping ass. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he. 
he like so you got the physical parts of him just destroying things but um with the scene whenever he finally meets up with ray i think immediately when he, he's trying to get her to join but he's playing mind games and he's kind of he's embodying his master and uh and that's the great thing is um as yoda yoda has a nice little cameo in this and he says like uh, oh it's so great we've got you know, we've got like a puppet looking yoda i don't know if it really if they they went back to frank oz doing puppetry work but this one looked like og style yoda which was which was nice it was it was great I hope it was Frank Cosby. I've checked the credits, but uh, I think he'd kind of Yoda's line was something was like, we are what we grow beyond, you know, as teachers, like, uh, I think that's his line. Like, uh, so it's, it's not just like Luke is going to teach Ray, you know, who Ray teaches is like, that's who he is. You know, we are who we grow beyond. I, I kind of, that's the way I kind of got it. And uh, so I mean, you get all these scenes and you lead up. And so that is where the meat of the film is, is within those characters. Um, I will admit there are times when I'm watching Empire Strikes Back and I just watch the Yoda scenes. Like I'm not as invested in Cloud City or, uh, you know, Han running away. But this is blasphemy. Everything <laughs> sure. in that film yeah. is perfection. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, you um, know, I am single, so like maybe that's why I don't like Han and Leia, you know. Speaking um, of Han and Leia, we do get like a nice little uh, Princess Leia daughter, right? We well, yes, 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 in, in a matter of sorts. So, um, Carrie Fisher's daughter is in this film, and she plays. We don't know. I don't even know if her character is given a name in this movie, but Carrie I Fisher's daughter got something going on. Pardon me. She's always helping Poe Dameron out. Maybe they have a little something, something going on. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I can't remember if her name is like Billy Lords or something like that. But Carrie Fisher's daughter is in in this movie. She has several uh, small glorified extra scenes in this movie but you did mention something regarding like that 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 yoda quote it reminds me i don't even know who made this quote who 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 quoted it i just go back to like senior english when i was in high school like i don't know almost 30 years ago at this point but there's this quote that says every adult needs a child to teach it's the way adults learn and it's something that has stuck with me for damn near 30 years uh shout out to mr giles Baron Collier High School, uh, my, my, my English teacher, he was my uh, freshman and senior English teacher. And every morning he would write some quote on the board. That quote, for whatever reason, has stuck with me my entire life, which is that, again, that like every adult needs a child to teach. It's the way adults learn. Um, I think it's fucking beautiful. But anyway, it's there, there's something very Yoda-esque about that quote. But there were, I, I was going to go somewhere. <laughs> In uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones, there's a, the, one of the worst scenes is the little children. And he's just like, he kind of credits the kid of the, the mind of a child. <laughs> he actually does kind of credit the children. Well, there he's you like, go. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, um, God damn it. We, uh, of course, has to go back to the prequel. Um, but no, they're, they're, they're you know, I, I, I guess it's not that I'm trying to transition or like move this podcast forward, but you know, this, this podcast, this, this movie is what's I'm most interested about talking about this movie are the things that, that polarize audiences, because I think the story plot wise, this is probably the most original 
of the franchise, right? I mean, we we kind of went on like a 90-minute rant last episode talking about how The Force Awakens is really just the original Star Wars movie all over again, mm-hmm. right? This movie gives us at least something different. Uh, we're introducing new, new technologies. We learn that Snoke set basically did a set up a blind date between uh, Ray and Kylo Ren, essentially to, to do all this, even though we had never seen anything. And more than that, Ryan Johnson, the, the writer director basically undid everything that the previous film had already done. Right. The, the whole notion that, that Ray had some type of lineage. Nope. Nope. There were nobody, nothing. Um, so I'm curious if Kylo was just trying to like, was trying to dominate her and just give her like, cause he, he just goes, you know, the truth He's like, they're nobody. Like, I think she actually says they were nobodies. And then he just doubles down and just tries to make her feel like crap because he was like trying to be a master. And like, that's how his master. Right. Get him to follow I mean, her. It makes so, it more interesting. It certainly would make it more interesting as opposed to just shitting literally on everything because every, think, every other element we kind of already did. Right. Um, I think it adds to the Adam driver character and his development through sure. how he gets sure. to that point. And you get this whole love story with him, And then all of a sudden he's, He's not gonna. It's it's very Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. It's <laughs> just role reversal. <laughs> That's what's happening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, what else do we do? Well, we we knew about Snoke in the last film, so we were gonna get Snoke, and Snoke was gonna be a badass, like Emperor two He is. His throne room scenes are amazing. Like it is the best throne room scenes I've ever seen. Uh, The uh, the, the use of red and oh, it's it's sexy. It's just again cinematically. This is like a shout out to the cinematographer and again Ryan Johnson, the the director. This movie looks gorgeous. It's a gorgeous looking Star Wars film. I, I I can't. As the issues that I have with this movie, I, I can't shit on the look of it because it it's 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 definitely an eye it's it's eye candy through and through. Yeah, me neither. I you know who I never shit on John Williams. Oh I mean, well, I mean, the score is amazing, and the score uh, is the score is I, really good. The score is really good of the old songs. Whenever you get them back in, you get a nice scene of Luke going back in the Falcon, mm-hmm. which a very funny scene of when R two wakes up. He goes, he's just like watch your language. <laughs> it it kind of reminds you, you know, it's like C three PO was right. Like I bet R two had a bit of a mouth on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was probably the cousin sailor in the crew. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it was good to get Luke and uh, R2-D2. You know, they're, so even though there are a lot of things about this film that on one hand you feel violate certain rules and ethics that you think apply to the entire franchise, there is some good fan service that goes on. Obviously, getting, getting Yoda back in an OG-looking style, mm-hmm. major win. Getting Luke Skywalker talking to R2-D2, major win, right? I mean, those are some definite, awesome, awesome bits of fan service. Getting Luke back in the Millennium Falcon and him having having his moment Mm -hmm. is really great. Kylo Uh, Ren in the TIE Fighter was like Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. good call. He's winning. Good call. There are tons of shots. The saber battle between Kylo Ren and Luke... uh, 
you know, I made mention of times whenever he reminded me of Yoda and he's him spinning around, but I think it's very much of Obi-Wan and taking down the saber because that's what Obi-Wan did for Luke to get Luke mm-hmm. out of there. Um, <laughs> even though they were tracking him to Yavin yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um so we we mentioned that scene when like Ray and um, Kylo are whipping up those kind of like we're gonna call them the Emperor's Guards because you know that that's the only other phrase I can think Imperial, of. But Imperial Guards, I Imperial think Guards, yeah, yeah, the Imperial Guards. Um, yeah. But it was cool to see those guys in red actually do something because they they looked menacing in Return of the Jedi, but to see these new guys do something was pretty flipping cool. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of explained a lot, but also shouldn't you expect the, you know, the Emperor to have some sort of guards with cool armor on and, mm-hmm. you know, like, especially like in old Star Wars, like they can't, you know, stormtroopers can't shoot and, you know, all of a sudden our guys can, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's nice to see a little bit more balance and uh, yeah. the saber work was something, you know, it's just, it, it looked amazing. Um, I, who would you rather be? You think you'd rather be a guy with like the dual knife or do you think you'd rather have like the whip knife? You had to guard the emperor. Ooh, um, I did kind of like that whip knife looking thing. That was that was badass. Sword and then pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Oh, uh, shout out uh, R.I.P. to uh, our Chrome, our Chrome trooper in this one. Yeah, where uh, uh, I believe uh, Finn calls her Chrome Dome, which is my. My moment of God, that's bad dialogue. Maybe, maybe that really represents Finn overcoming his deepest, darkest enemy. You know, she's the Quite one literally. who brought him in in the beginning. Yeah, and uh, he's fighting for you know Rose, who he kind of loves. I don't, you know, is it is questionable? They're, they're great friends. Do, do the, does it develop? Um, and he, yeah. Um, so maybe we don't like how it shot, but we like how it represents. He overcame his uh, his old guape, as they say in the Three Amigos. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say I have a plethora? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, see, see. <laughs> you have a plethora. <laughs> uh, let me let me think. Uh, what else? What else did I really? I do love that moment toward the end, which we kind of hinted at, but I'll just call it the the more moment where. Uh, basically, like Kylo Ren instructs, like every gun. Oh like, yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, that it's cool. Great. Was he get the great build up, and then once again, just stylistically, or to me, somebody's just like the master versus the apprentice on this this ground, this beat up ground, and it it looks like a you know, it's just there's nothing going on, and it just. uh it almost reminds me of like two Japanese samurai just mm. meeting up and it just it, in a way it's like they live for but to, to kind of prove their purpose or fight each other um, in this hell in a sort so uh, right. um, thought it was I, I loved uh, I loved how it was shot yeah um, I, I agree um, let's see here how much time how we're doing on time um so I guess upon second viewing, actually, before I even say second viewing, you saw this movie in the movie theater when it first came out, correct? Yeah, I would have seen it then. I would have seen it again when Disney Plus came out. I watched them all again at that time. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a few times since. How do you feel like overall? Like, what are you, you know, you don't have to rank it overall, but what are you, when you think of this movie, do you, do you, do you, do you look back positively on this film? Yeah, I think I'd, um, 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think this is a movie I'll really enjoy watching over and over again, just because I, once again, just really like the, uh, just the dynamic between Master and Apprentice. That was always my favorite storyline from Yoda uh, and Luke, or whether it's Ben Kenobi and Luke. I, I just, I've always liked, um, I've had a lot of great teachers in my life. So I think within characters, that's who I always like. Right. Uh, so right. I think in this one, you're going to get a ton of that. To a certain extent, I wish there was more just Jedi teachings. Like, I think that's where, uh, whenever you you get a little bit more payoff on uh, Dagobah with Yoda, just because like, you're just eating every single word and you just don't get that with Luke. And you get a few good scenes where he tries to describe it. Uh, but he just doesn't... She's not as lovable as Yoda. Right. No, and he he isn't. Um, Now, when I first saw this movie, I I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I am so glad that I did have the opportunity to see for a second time because I kind of liked it this time. You know, like I I've I've kind of accepted the things that I don't appreciate, uh, appreciate about this film. I don't I don't really enjoy some of the, like I said, the subplots. I, I really, the, the scenes with Poe Dameron and the scenes with Finn and Rose, I don't really care about, but at least applaud them for having scenes because I, I think I've said this somewhere else. I might've actually said it last night, but the movie Return of the Jedi, there's really only four scenes in the entire film, right? I mean, that, that's it. This movie, they're, they're, we're getting different subplots that are going on. And even if they don't necessarily connect, the scenes that do work, they work really well. And so I think this is actually a far more complete film than Return of the Jedi. Um, well, you said, they, I mean, they brought in a new director. Yeah, Ryan Johnson. So did he write a whole new script? Yeah, he wrote this. Yeah, he wrote this screenplay. Okay, whereas the other one had had two different writers or... Well, so The Force Awakens had a, a few different writers involved in it. And and the final film, I think, may have had another writer or director involved in it. But this one was a single entity of Ryan Johnson who did the writing and directing of this. Ryan Johnson, who had done Looper recently, he has done the... I want to call it ready or not, but I don't know if that, I think that's a different, I think that's the wrong one. Um, the one with Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Knives Curtis, out. pardon me. Knives, Knives out. out. Knives out. Yeah. So he, he's done Knives out. He's done looper. He did a movie called brick Ryan Johnson, everything else he's done. I've really enjoyed this one. just took me, I just didn't enjoy it. The that initial go round. I think, the the subplots I didn't like. I didn't like Leia traveling through space, even though she was dead. I didn't like initially the idea that anybody with the Force can talk to anybody throughout the galaxy. I didn't like Luke Skywalker dying at the end. These are things I wasn't necessarily okay with. I had time to process it, you know. And even though some of the elements that I didn't like the first time, I'm okay with. And I'm actually quite frankly, I'm okay with Luke Skywalker dying. Uh, I would have liked maybe him to go out in a blaze of glory or something like, you know, it's just something a little bit different, but I also like the, his moment of his, his moment of Zen that he has uh, before he goes at the end of this movie, which I think is a nice little payoff. I would have, you know, at the end, I, I, I didn't want Han. I didn't want Han to die. I didn't want Luke to die. You don't want to watch these people that you had invested 
your entire lives with to 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 go but that's kind of the, the whole I- identity of this new trilogy is it's a new generation this is a story for new for new blood new characters you know offspring nobody wants you know uh our parents to die you know what i mean like this is this is a new world right and you gotta you gotta let go of the past right which is a line that is referenced in the film you gotta let go of the past and yeah i think kyle ren says that (laughs) yeah quite literally right yeah Yeah. so there's definitely upon further review i'm far more okay with this movie Obviously, I don't think I'm not going to put on the same tier as the original Star Wars. I'm certainly not going to put it on the same tier as Empire Strikes Back. But I think this movie is closer to a Return of the Jedi than any of the other within the the episode uh, labeling. I still would take Rogue One over anything that has been made since Empire Strikes Back personally. But within the episode uh, branding. I I think I enjoy this one more now than The Force Awakens. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, I think everybody's going to have the original trilogy up there. Rogue One's a perfect little standalone film. It's kind of unfair. <coughs> but uh, I'm going to look at episode one, two, and three. I think out of these, out of seven, eight, nine, this one is... it. It'll, I, <laughs> It'll probably be the best. I'll have to rewatch the next one. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, I think it's fun to get into uh, Rise of Skywalker because I haven't seen that since I saw it in the theater. But yeah, so um, I had a couple of thoughts. Just, uh, oh, please. We mentioned Batman a few times. Uh, it made me think like some of the weak scenes in this were too campy. And I remember hearing a critique whenever uh, it went from, um, Burton to uh, Schumacher was Keaton didn't want oh, to go. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> he didn't want to come on because it was too campy. Yeah. Like it was too campy. And <laughs> so I kind of felt like that was some of the flaws in it. But the other thing was a lot of people and parents were complaining about the original Batman is that they were too dark. And I think a lot of parents may complain that this movie has elements of it that are too dark mm. um, mm-hmm. and scary compared to the other ones. So yeah, this is probably the, the darkest that we've seen since Empire. And I maybe arguably, you know, I, I think you might say revenge is a little bit darker. Um, I, I think know. it is. I think it kind of leaves you at that. You don't I mean, know they, he, I mean, happen. We, we do kill younglings in <laughs> revenge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Kylo Ren kills Han Solo. It's like, you got to kill, you got to kill the past. Yeah. Right? It's I do. Part. I do want to take a second just because of the fact that I know our time is uh, rounding up because I do want to post this tomorrow, but mm-hmm. I do want to take a second and at least mention something that I had had kind of hinted earlier. The actress that plays Rose, her name is Kelly Murray, uh, Kelly Murray Tran. And the backlash that happened after this film was just absolutely horrible. Now, John Boyega had experienced a lot of shit as well. And Daisy Ridley had experienced a lot of stuff. Much of it had to do with kind of like sexism and racism, but like Kelly Marie Tran got like a double dose where she was just in, incessantly like bullied on social. She like deleted her Instagram, uh, like Twitter, et cetera, just took herself off complete like social media. Like 
she was torn to shreds from the like the the court of um, racist public opinion. You know, they now granted again, I, I really didn't think much of her character, but I don't think it was necessarily it had nothing to do with her. I just don't think that her character was ever really developed. But it was it was pretty shitty. Like the the actress actually like went to therapy because of like the online bullying um, that that like Star Wars nerds got into it. And this this isn't necessarily a conversation about uh, what's the word I'm looking for fan service, but this whole idea that fans seem to think that like franchises belong to them is problematic and we we may be passionate about things you know we may think that we know this universe but it's not ours it's not ours and we 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 don't have the right even if you don't like somebody to like fucking take it personal and you know like beat somebody up you know it's it sucks and i'm not trying to get on a soapbox or anything but just i I just remember when all that went down and that was just Another thing that I think that also affected me and like how I thought of this movie is the fact that I didn't like Rose, but I also felt horrible that the actress that played her went through like enormous shit. And I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but and listeners, if you haven't definitely like just just type in Kelly Marie Tran bullying and you will like hear some of the stuff that she went through. And it's just it's just wild. No, I'm sad to hear that. I think it has to. I mean, I feel like I, that that happens. Um, I think it used to be worse. Hopefully it's getting better. Just people realize the technology, maybe you're on footage more, but <laughs> obviously we don't condone that. We, we like to keep things positive and cheerful. Mm-hmm. People try their best. They try their best. Uh, sometimes in sports, people just like to pick somebody, you know, for their team losing. Mm. <laughs> we talk about how we, we care about this film. So if it doesn't live up to expectations, we may try to take it out on, this person or that person, whether it be the director or an actress, but um. yeah, just like the world of hot takes, I think was a conversation you and I had off, like off air. We talk a lot about sports and hot takes are a very, very popular thing that people just feel just initial, like gut reaction. Boom. This team won, this team lost. It's the end of the world. I'm going to let, I'm going to, I'm going to shout from the rooftops to anybody that can hear. I'm going to say like just the most, insane things the same thing when it comes to films you can we need to be we need to do a better job of being nuanced when it comes to things you know just recognize have a moment to reflect have a moment before we say something uh to somebody at least you know uh my take on it but again not trying to go like uh speak from like a like a soapbox or anything like that but when we think when i think of the last jedi this movie has an element of being tarnished because this was something that was very, very big when the movie came out, which was how the, how the actors in this movie were treated, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I think we're one of the few people who gave uh, Hayden Christensen and uh, Lloyd, Henry Lloyd kind of their due. And, yeah. Um, Shout out to anyway. us. <laughs> Thing is like, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I just feel awkward double down. But had it uh, in the 2000s or you know the 90s, you know bullying wasn't nearly as thought of as a thing. The internet didn't exist nearly as much. You couldn't. They, they I'm I'm sure Miss Tran is it? Yeah. Uh, 
I'm sure she would. She got double doses of it, being a female, and uh, just uh, not being. I guess not being a white dude like Caden Christensen is. You know, <laughs> like um, there are sick people out here, anyways. But um, I think it's part of how big Star Wars is, and I guess if you're a a client or an actor, you might think of sometimes about uh, these. This could happen to you whenever you sign up to a role this big, whether it be Marvel or Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, that uh, you're gonna have a lot of eyes on you. So yeah, it's caution. I love it. I love it. I'm gonna start to close this episode off, but before I allow you the opportunity to say goodbye, I am going to read you a review from I believe. I can't, let's see, should I, I think this is a entertainment weekly, but it might be the Hollywood reporter. I feel bad, but um, this is a direct quote. It may sound like a backhanded compliment, but with so much on the line, Ryan Johnson deserves credit for not messing things up. By contrast, George Lucas got himself into trouble for not catering enough to fans with his early 2000s prequel trilogy. The situation J.J. Abrams Address in The Force Awakens, which felt like a thrilling big-budget Star Wars fan film. The Last Jedi possesses the same reverence for the galaxy Lucas created, paying homages in all the right places, from the chills we get from John Williams' iconic fanfare to the, the new and improved walkers that appear during the climatic siege, while barely advancing the narrative. Ultimately, there's only so much wiggle room Johnson has to play with a property that seems destined to generate a new installment slash spinoff every year until we die, which means that however many Death Star or Sith's, uh, Sith Lords the Resistance has managed to defeat, there will always be more. And no matter how few Jedi remain, there can never be none. Which I think is just kind of like a little nice little like quote on, on this film. Yeah, I think that's well said. I really like the part about the walkers. <laughs> yeah, they were cool. They were like, I like, I mean... You, you, this, this movie, even though this, I think this is the most original, this one, there are obviously nods to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi very, very much in this film. Yeah. 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 Well, go, go rewatch it, people. Go, go rewatch it. I think, I think, I think, I think that sums it up. Um, so, in, in conclusion, in summation, I think, I think the audiences have this one wrong. Uh, just to bring it back full circle to the the uh, the ninety one percent critics to forty two percent. Now I don't know if this is a ninety one percent film, but it's certainly not a forty two percent. So definitely check it out, revisit this movie. Hopefully, John and I like ranting over this past hour might have been useful uh, to uh, to entice you. But people, that's in your hands. You could get on Rotten Tomato and upvote it. You know, you can get this into the. You could. It's up to you if this is going to be the worst Star Wars film of all time. You know, like you got to get it above Episode One at least. And that's what. Amen. Is that a fifty-six? Got like nine percent to go. You can do it. Uh, yeah, fifty-six yeah, is attack. Okay, you can beat that. Come on, people. Yeah, let's do it. Johnny Bones, thank you, as always. I had a lot of fun. We, we've dealt with a couple of little technical issues this evening, but may the fourth be with you to everybody. I've had a lot of fun revisiting this. How about you, John? I had a great time. Thank you. All I'm right. going to off. Y'all have a great night and uh, talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. All right. As always, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for downloading. Please tell your friends. Please, please, please. Uh, and as always, like, listen, leave a 
fucking review. If you're listening to this on the Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. Leave me a review. Do it. This is like the Jedi Force doing it. Leave me a review. Anyway, uh, I will see you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema. Bye.